CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTRLive, and look for this show as hashtag innovation. Today's topic is making user innovation the norm. And our guests for today's show are Professor Eric Von Hippel, who is the T. Wilson Professor of Innovation Management at the MIT Sloan School of Management and a Professor of Engineering Systems at MIT. Good morning, Eric. How are you? Good morning. Happy to be here. Great. The honor's all ours. And we also have uh, James Eichner, who is the Vice President of Global Innovation with Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Very good. So uh, we we are looking at this topic, and in fact, interestingly, the discussion uh, we want to take it to is we said user innovation, but user innovation could be interpreted in multiple ways. And maybe there are people within the organization that could be a focus, or you can see that the innovation is actually happening by customer within the organization that is employees as well as our partners and the people in ecosystem. So if we were to really start setting the stage, and I'll start with you, Eric, what do you think is uh, an atomic unit for innovation to be successful? Can you just say that I'm going to be in my cocoon and I'll only work with my employees to make innovation happen and it's going to be creating value? Well, I think let me start a bit broadly, which is that there's a paradigm shift going on in innovation. We used to think, that producers were the innovators and that their employees working within the company got user needs from outside and then created solutions for their customers. What we now understand is that a great deal of innovation, probably more than half, is actually developed by users who have needs that they have to solve for themselves. They then diffuse these innovations amongst user communities, and it becomes the producer and CIO kind of of manager's job to figure out a way to collect these, vet them, and commercialize them. So when we talk about user innovation, what we're really talking about is people who innovate because they need to use the innovation themselves. It can be individuals or it can be firms. So, Jim, in your world, when you look at innovation and you are part of a global organization and innovation is happening all around you and within your organization, that's what I'm sure you're charged with. How do you foster that culture? Are people supposed to look within themselves or outside in or inside out? Well, first, I agree with Eric's comment. Uh, for especially for functionally new ideas, a lot of that is in the the user community outside the walls of the corporation. And so, one of the challenges for innovators is to understand, find, identify lead users, and figure out ways of learning from that. Having said that, 
within uh, within the walls of the corporation, uh, there are, I think, two kinds of innovate, uh, innovation problems that you're trying to solve. One is CIOs are often developing uh, systems and technology that are used by people inside the company in order to support the end customer. And those users innovate. And, uh, and the IT departments, I think, need to be out in the field understanding what those users are uh, doing to solve their problems and how they can better support them. Uh, so that's a form of user innovation uh, inside the that happens inside the corporation, but the the there it's out in the field. It's walking with technicians who are repairing. Uh, it's understanding what the people at the front line who are dealing with customers over at call centers are doing. It's identifying the the problems that they're confronting and how they're solving them and how you can support them. So that's one whole class, and it's akin to what Eric was talking about. The second class is just making your employees. Uh, tapping into the innovation of employees, whatever their function is. And there's a whole host of, uh, uh, there's a lot of experimentation going on. There are a lot of tools available in the market for essentially putting challenges out to a broad uh, community of people and asking for suggestions for how they might be dealt with. Uh, the tool, the software tool, is oftentimes managed from within IT but making that work is really more of an organizational change issue than it's uh, an issue of technology. So, Eric, if you were to assess the current state of innovation as it may be happening in the world around us, in the businesses and the enterprises, is that that we stumble upon as we keep hearing and listening to people outside of our organization or maybe sometimes within or is it a deliberate attempt with an agenda that I have to come up with two innovative ideas this month and people are tasked and are measured based on that goal? Well, when you, when you think that organizations as we have them today were built around the idea that the R&D department, assisted by the marketing department, innovates, you can see that they're wrongly organized for picking up innovations outside. Have you heard that Bill Joy's uh, remark, uh, uh, you know, every organization has to understand that most of the smart people work outside them? <laughs> Have you heard that remark? <laughs> In other words, it, it, when you think about the large interconnected world that we now have, the idea that your own employees, no matter how large your firm, that your own employees will be the ones who come up with the good stuff is a bit outdated. So there has to be, your, your question was, is it accidental? Today, largely it's accidental that we run across these innovations from outside. The challenge for organizations, as Jim says, is to become systematic about this, to learn where innovations really arise and systematically look for them. Yeah, and if I can... Nope. Add to, add to that, I think within most corporations, if they're trying to take, and Eric, uh, you know, I, I credit you with this insight, if they're trying to take their existing product and make it faster or better or cheaper, then the R&D departments and the engineering departments of most corporations are very capable of doing that. And that kind of innovation really does happen inside R&D labs. But if you're talking about 
new feature functionality and, uh, and offering something new to customers. Eric's research shows, and I think uh, my experience would confirm it, that uh, it's users who are, are, are confronting problems in their world, are finding that what they have doesn't solve it, and are inventing their own solutions. They may be crude. They may be expensive. Uh, to start with, they may only uh, partially solve the problem, but they're trying to solve their problems. The advantage for companies like uh, like mine and other companies I've worked with in going after those is when you find those needs, you know not only that there's a need, but that someone really cares about it because they tried to fix it. They have some idea of how to solve the problem. It works. And so a lot of the problems that innovations confront in the real world, which are making that crossing the chasm into the, into the market, are, uh, you know, at least you have a small proof case in the user communities that already exist. Mm -hmm. let's, let's give you a couple of examples. Is that okay? Yes, please. Okay. So when you have medical equipment companies, you'd think that they are the ones who come up with the novel devices for medicine. But when you look into it, you find that, in fact, everything from stents to the heart-lung machine were developed by doctors working with patients. So take the heart-lung machine, for example. That was John Hasham Gibbon. And basically he saw a tremendous need for open-heart surgery. When he went to the firms and asked them, could you help me build a heart-lung machine, they said no because there's no market for it. The whole point was every time you have something new, a market starts out small and uncertain, and therefore systematically firms are not interested. So what John Hasham Gibbon did was he actually, over 20 years, built a heart-lung machine himself. And that spread to other surgeons, and that became the prototype that manufacturers in the medical world built upon. And what they learned from John Hasham Gibbons' prototype was not only how this thing works, but that, in fact, there is tremendous demand for it. Now, to get to Jim Eichner's area in, uh, in Goodyear, I mean, one of the issues in this perfect illustration is that uh, tires are used in all sorts of conditions that the company doesn't necessarily know about. So as an example, uh, giant tires used on construction machines were being used in areas where they were mining. And when you have hard rock mining and you blow up these kinds of, of, of cliffs, what you get is many very sharp rocks. And what these were doing was razor sharp. They were cutting the tires, very quickly degrading them. So what the users did in the mines is they wrapped the entire tire with chains so that basically the contact between the ground and the rocks and the rest of it was metal, instead of rubber, but the thing was flexible. That's what Jim means by a crude prototype. The next thing that happens is that a company out of Goodyear can see, oh, number one, 
there's a real problem here because you cared enough to solve it. That's exactly what Jim Eichner was telling you. The other is, okay, this solution seems to work. The other thing is, you know what? This solution's pretty crude. We can do it better. But the user was the innovator that demonstrated the function and a rough solution. Does that help? Yes, it definitely helps. And, and Jim, coming back to you, so what's the true intention behind any organization embark, embarking upon this innovation bandwagon? Is it that you want to make profit or you want to feel satisfied that you're ahead of the curve? Because the example that Eric just gave, if there was not enough value seen by an enterprise because maybe no other user built a prototype and worked to perfect it or maybe brought to a point where it can be shown as a proof of concept – Enterprise did not take the risk because they say, why even bother? Let somebody else fail multiple times. But do you think, looking back, you would lose the opportunity to capture market or do something much better, much more gratifying than just taking somebody's product and making it better and then calling it innovation at an enterprise level? Well, from from our perspective, uh, the innovations about growth, about being a preferred uh, supplier of the products that we provide by providing something uh, better than they might find elsewhere. The, uh, I don't think uh, we have some uh, – we care about where the source of the innovation is. If we can learn from uh, users, we will learn from users, and we actively have a program where we have people, engineers, and innovators and designers out in mines and with truck fleets and in con where consumers uh, congregate and work with their tires to understand what they're trying to do that they can't get done right now and what would help them. Uh, and then we need to do two things. We need to assess, can we do that? Can we do it economically? Can we meet that need in a, in a uh, compelling way? And second of all, is there a business model that will let us profit from that? So we're doing those. One of the key things, uh, the key keys to success there is being aware that these users are doing stuff and then finding the lead users. Uh, that is not as easy. It's easier perhaps because of the Internet than it might have once been, but it's still a, uh, a deliberate process that you have to pursue. Uh, Eric and some of his colleagues developed some approaches for doing that uh, that we've used at multiple companies that I've worked with. Uh, but we start there. The innovation is about finding something customers need, and our goal is to, to grow. That's, the, that's our goal. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, when we come back, Eric, I'd like to ask you about the realism that we need to maintain when we are going about this innovation. Because we said an enterprise, and I'm taking a business perspective. If you are a solo person, you've got not much to lose. But when you are an enterprise, you want to get real because you're answerable to your shareholders and stakeholders. Do you think by always maintaining that culture of realism really takes us closer to true innovation in an enterprise setting? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option. It's imperative. 
Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So, Eric, how about seeing if realism is the best route for an enterprise to truly embed and or foster innovation in an organization and really get good results out of it? Yeah. So... What, what you have to understand is two things. Um, one is Jim mentioned methods, right, lead user methods and so on. And there's free materials on how to do this on my MIT website. Everything is free there, books and videos and how to do lead user projects. So if you're, uh, there's a workbook for, for uh, uh, project teams and so forth, so it's 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 an all 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 entirely free and and uh, maybe it'll help people if they're interested after this show to start to think systematically about what to do next. And I, I, let me just add to it: some of those materials, uh, you know, as they were being developed and once they were developed, I've used in different companies I've worked with, and they have been productive in identifying uh, opportunities that we hadn't previously thought about. So, yeah. So, so the natural tendency of anything, like even just when you mentioned, and as you started answering, Eric, the question, you mentioned methods. Mm-hmm. Do you think when we try to structure, and that's our, our uh, enterprise DNA, if you will, that we want to structure everything, we want to make it predictable. Do you think the sandboxing takes us away from our end goal and methods will bring us closer? I think so. I mean, let's, let's go back to the principles again. So companies... What, what we really have discovered here amongst users is a new front end to the innovation process. Firms are used to the idea that they do market research and they have to develop the products. But firms also understand 
that anything really new is risky, and so it usually does not pass the test of potential profitability. So if something is really new, systematically, firms don't have the information they need to decide whether they want to go into it. And so systematically, it's the users who do it. So the point is that firms should not feel badly about this. What they have is at no cost to themselves, huge users, huge user communities out there innovating on their own nickel, trying out what works and what doesn't, and generating better information for the firms. So a firm, if it reorganizes, has to understand that this free resource is out there and it's much more accessible than it used to be because of the Internet. And so a firm should then learn to exploit this systematically. And that's where the methods that Jim and I were talking about come in. But it is a major reorganization task because people within firms feel quite threatened when standard models are being changed. Market research, for example, is taught to look to the center of the market to find out what average needs are. And what Jim and I are saying is that the new things are being developed at the leading edge. They're being developed amongst users who are ahead of others that ordinary market research people would think of as outliers. They're ahead of the market. So marketing research has to learn new methods. R&D is not used to the idea that they get prototypes from the outside. They want to do it themselves. They tend to reject the prototypes. I'll give you a funny story. You, you, have you ever heard of center pivot irrigation, these giant circular irrigation systems? Have you ever seen those when you fly across the country? There are these big circles on the ground, and they're agricultural innovations. These were developed by farmers in the Middle West. But the firms initially didn't want anything to do with it because the prototypes were rough and crude. So they spread amongst user farmers who were building them for themselves. And when I talked to people in the firms as to why initially they went against them until later it became a major profit center, they said, well, you know, those user things were so lousy, you should have seen the terrible quality of their welding. <laughs> so the point is that there is resistance any time you change a system. But the world is changing. It's free information for companies. It's free innovation information for companies. And the companies that take advantage of it are going to be the companies that benefit. I think the, the only thing I would add to that is they're different. Uh, you know, you don't have to blow up everything you're doing to make this work. So, uh, you know, companies are in the businesses that they're in. The market research functions are performing an important function for continuing to deliver that core product and uh, and to stay on the leading edge of customer needs there. But the, you can create within organizations uh, customer-centered, user-centered innovation functions that 
usually include people with uh, a range of disciplinary backgrounds and that spend their time actively going out to learn what customers are doing, what customers need, where the lead customers are, and bringing that information back in and creating new businesses uh, or new business opportunities from it. Many companies are starting to set those things up so that you you can maintain in parallel the existing structure and create new innovation structures. Yes, Jim is right. I'm always running around saying, well, you know, blow everything up and start over. And Jim's saying, no, it's no that's not the way it's done. I, I also want to tell a story because I can remember once uh, in a meeting at uh, at Eric's Labs, we had a bunch of companies there, and we were talking about user communities, how they shared information and developed things. And I made a comment. I was working for a uh, postage uh, uh, equipment supplier at the time. And I made the comment, well, you know, there are a lot of people who are excited about certain high-tech uh, or high-touch products, but, I mean, who's going to innovate around a postage meter? And in the room, there were like three people who shot up their hands and said, well, I did. And you know, there, was a, there was an e-commerce company that uh, was shipping a whole lot of T-shirts, and logistically the way uh, our systems were set up didn't uh, support the way they did shipping. And they had innovated. They had hacked around some of the interfaces in order to make it more possible. And someone who, who was in the open source hardware business and shipped uh, a lot of hardware had actually created uh, scripts to make shipping using the postal service easy and had integrated a competitor's online product with her open source scripts, which were now available to everyone. So the point I'm making about it is whatever industry you're in, you may not think users are innovating, but users are innovating. It's certainly true in the tire industry. Eric gave an example. We've seen others when we've gone out into the field. I think in every industry, if you go look for the lead users, you will find them. Absolutely. So as you said, yeah, Jim, as you said uh, about you thinking within your organization that uh, who's going to innovate around postage meters and there were some other people doing that, and that's hacking or that's a workaround. What made the internal organization not see those problems? Did they not hear enough or they did not have their ears to the ground or there was just pure inertia that that problem is not big enough for an organization like that postage uh, uh, equipment supplier to invest in it? I think it, it's a combination. It's partly that, you know, we were targeting the center of the market need, but e-commerce uh, was a, a growing uh, a growing segment of the economy at that point. So the lead users probably could have told us stuff that we, would have helped us get ahead of the market. And it, it has to do with how much are you listening, how much are you looking and how much are you focused on the center of the market versus where the market might go? Uh, obviously, we uh, immediately <laughs> went to find out what those companies were doing and how we might integrate it into our products. But it's, uh, uh, my point about it is there are a lot of biases that, about where users will innovate, why they'll innovate, innovate, and how you can tap into them that even if you're swimming in this stuff are easy to hold. Um, but my experience is you go look, you'll find interesting stuff. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, what, what Jim says is, is it's so typical of the, of the sort of response to something new. 
the first thing people say is it's not true. <laughs> and then people generate a lot of data that really it is true. <laughs> and then they say, well, okay, maybe it's true, but it doesn't apply to me. Yes. Right? Which is, uh, my product is too boring, or my users aren't capable of this, or so on and so forth. There was a wonderful case, uh, uh, two cases I'll give you in contrasting ends of the scale. One was exactly as Jim says, uh, I have students in my classes, and, and we have also an MIT innovation lab where we invite companies to come. And uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in the classroom, I had a bunch of engineers, and one of these engineers says, ah, oh, I make lawn tractors, and nobody gives a damn about lawn tractors, and we are innovating, we're making a robotic lawn tractor that will sort of avoid children's and so on as it goes around, and it'll automatically mow the lawn. So nobody would do that. So we as a class got on the web and found half a dozen user communities building robot lawnmowers. Just amazing. Now, another example on the high-tech end is uh, there were salesmen from GE who were going around selling MRIs. And they were doing the standard thing of, you know, GE brings good things to life. You know, you guys, we have this wonderful stuff and you'll really love it. And uh, in, in, in this particular hospital, uh, they said, well, fine, we want your magnets and your MRI, but our software is better than, better than yours. They said, what? We're the ones who bring new things to life. <laughs> and they said, yeah, but actually, you know what? Take a look at our software. And they said, damn, it's better. So then we looked back and we found out that most of the innovations that GE produces in the software side of imaging are actually developed by the users. And so GE then has a system of now working with leading edge users rather than ignoring them. So number one, you have to be aware it's there, just as Jim says. Number two, you have to figure out a way to work with these people. It's an organizational challenge. But it's also true, as Jim says, that for ordinary kinds of projects, you know, faster, better, cheaper, R&D can be fine and marketing research can be fine. It's what the center of the market wants. But for leading-edge stuff where you say to yourself, I didn't know you even wanted that, that's where you have to go to the users. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. And, Jim, please uh, continue your thoughts once we come back. And then, of course, a follow-on question will be around making it a norm, a sustainable effort versus we getting lucky within an enterprise if something we stumble upon or, um, you know, we get to know from a user that this is what we are supposed to be working. So what is the role of someone like Jim, who is a global innovation officer within the company? Are you supposed to be a shepherd? Are you supposed to be someone who's a servant leader who shows people the path? How do you go about building that a norm? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. 
The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Jim, would you like to continue sharing your thoughts on the previous question, and then we can go to the next one? Yes, I was just going to uh, build on the idea. So user innovation is, uh, is, as we've been talking, very important to the overall innovation picture. But you have users inside your corporation as well. And if you're an IT organization, you may be developing systems that are supporting People are doing installation in the field or, uh, or doing field service and maintenance or have maintenance centers where they're uh, deciding what to dispatch where or call centers that are working with customers. Oftentimes there are many of these centers, and individual centers are innovating to address the problems that they have in their areas. If the people who are developing systems for them in IT are out, in the field, observing, finding, again, the lead users, what the problems are, what the problems are with the software that they're using, and what they're doing to work around it, uh, they can oftentimes uh, innovate and improve those processes. Uh, again, that's tapping into the users to, uh, to innovate. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, uh, many, many processes within firms are quite unique and the company has the users of those. And so that's a special form of user innovation. It's user innovation within the processes of the company, the company using those processes. And it's very interesting because uh, there's, there's a colleague of mine in, in, in Portugal who did a study comparing the success of all the innovations suggested by employees because they had a program, a suggestion program. 
And he found out that the successful ones were the ones where the employee suggesting it was using it himself mm. as opposed to anticipating what he thought the customer might want. So the point is, again, when you are a user, you have such rich understanding of what you need and you probably have innovated with respect to it, you're just a much better source of innovation. And this is true for your in-house employees as well as people outside. So if the firm keeps in mind who is the real user of whatever this thing or category of innovations is, they can go to the right source, inside or outside. Yeah, that's good insight. So, Jim, if you were to look at your role, what is it that you're tasked with behind the closed doors, working with the CEO and other executive staff? What do they say you have to deliver? And if you go about claiming that, okay, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to get my bonus and paychecks, what is it that you face as challenges in order to make that happen? Well, the, the main role that I have in the corporation is finding new avenues for growth. So uh, it won't necessarily be in the tire business as a tire business, but new avenues for growth. And I think the critical success factors for that are uh, focusing on the growth strategies, having clear growth strategies for the corporation, areas we want to grow, uh, getting out in those areas and understanding from the perspective of the customers and the users what the real needs are and uh, iterating or co-creating with com customers to develop new value propositions, and then having a good way of de-risking and incubating those businesses. Um, e even if you do, you follow the path that uh, we're talking about that's customer and user-centered, many of the ideas are going to have challenges from a business model or a profitability perspective. So a big focus is on understanding where the risks to that business model are and what you can reasonably implement. So it's not going to be a, uh, you know, not 100% success, even if you follow a methodology. A critical factor is, is having a sustained effort in your strategic areas, trying different things, incubating them, and then scaling the ones that are the most important. That's how I'll be measured, by whether or not we're creating new revenue streams for the corporation. Now, what, what your role is in the way you explained, uh, what do you think is it for anyone who works for you? Because they must be up to their eyeballs doing many other things. And are you afforded the luxury to keep getting a brand new team to go look for those new areas or you have to further stretch your existing people and create some buffer, if you will, to go and, and try to create something out of nothing? Goodyear has dedicated resources to going out and understanding customer needs, developing new value propositions, uh, developing business models that can bring them to market, testing them, and incubating them. So Goodyear has taken the step to do that. Now we collaborate with, uh, with people in the business to make that happen, and those people are, as you point out, very busy, but we're able to tap into those resources as needed. But we have dedicated resources that are seeking to make this happen. And I think that's a critical uh, factor, having the commitment of the corporation, the commitment of the resources, the clarity of direction, um, and the customer and user-centered focus. I think those are critical success factors. So that said, Eric, do you think the rest of the world is as lucky as uh, Jim's organization and Jim per se to be able to get that dedicated 
resource pool, get that shareholders mindset, but they still have the directive. Well, what you have to understand is that, that Jim is famous. <laughs> I mean, the point is that he can bring an agenda and he has a track record of success, which makes people say, okay, we'll do it your way. You know, you have a very good track record. So if you are uh, uh, new to this area, then, you know, uh, you have to fight for the resources. I mean, it's like anything else. You have to – but but again, there there is a lot of research out there now. Uh, saying that this is the way to go. So 10 years ago, you know, nobody would have believed you. My experience now with lectures and so on is that the landscape has changed and people are increasingly switching not to, I don't believe you, that users don't do that, but they're switching to, okay, I get it. What do we do about it? And so that makes everybody's task who's not Jim uh, but new to the area, uh, a lot easier than it was. So you're saying that we should look at this as a prerequisite for it to be successful. Otherwise, this will be a shotgun approach to innovation, whether in, in, in beside the uh, the organization, behind the organization's uh, boundaries, and as well as with the external users. So you're saying that's an absolute must. And if a company doesn't do it, they just... Uh, just would be plain lucky to, to do anything with innovation. Well, they're leaving money on the table. Yeah. I mean, in effect, why would you compete with your users to develop innovations when they're doing it for you? So companies like Medtronic and the rest, they increasingly understand that their users are the innovators, and they increasingly try to bring resources to bear to help them to innovate. That way, they get a connection at the leading edge of what's going on, and they get sort of the assistance of the users, the time of the users, the intelligence of the users, the, the world experience of the users with respect to the field, and, and they, they combine it with their own. Now, there are lots of ways to do this. So, you know, in the toy business, what Lego has done is create a website so that their users, who are very dispersed, who have innovations, can post them and share them. And then Lego can observe the level of interest of people in all these innovations. So it has a systematic way of, number one, seeing what might be a great new game idea or a new, new kit idea, and number two, seeing whether the world thinks so. It's a systematic way to do that. They had to set up a website and infrastructure around it to interest their users, to attract their users, and systematically assess what they were doing. That's an example of going from hit or miss to a system. And that's what I think companies have to do. And I, I would just, I'll just add to that and say, you know, companies will innovate, and uh, and uh, the the difference will be if you don't understand the role of the users and actively seek them. Most of your innovation will focus on making your current products faster or better or cheaper on the dimensions of merit that are already in the marketplace. Maybe manufacturing innovation, maybe. 
product uh, innovation that makes things uh, smaller or higher performing, but it's uh, it's essentially not focusing on identifying new unmet needs. As Eric said, you leave money on the table when you do that. If you get out in front and you understand where the emerging needs are, what people are, want to do that they can't do right now, that's where a lot of the profitability of industries comes from. So uh, I think the, the challenge, if you don't go systematically, it doesn't mean you won't innovate. It just means you'll innovate in different spaces and you'll leave a lot of the high-value stuff on the table. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, for- listeners, Eric, uh, and we'll be right back, and please continue your thoughts then. Okay. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Eric, take it away. Okay, so uh, um, let's see. Where were we and what were we talking about? Yeah, we were talking about the issues that people have, the challenges that people have. Because, you know, of course, we are providing, say, we, we give them a framework. And maybe people have looked at many of the articles, maybe on your own MIT site or other places. But still people are, they have the intent perhaps, but they may not have the capability. So where are they going wrong? Well, that's that's very interesting. So... One of the uh, stumbling blocks that people have is that it looks easier than it is. So, you know, when we describe going out to 
find users who innovate and uh, uh, just adopt their innovations, work with them, and so on. That's very simple. But in fact, in execution, it's not so simple. It's sort of like if I were a heart transplant surgeon and you'd ask me what I do, I'd say, well, I take out an old heart and stick in a new one. You'd say, well, that sounds easy enough. But there are lots of sort of technical issues around it. So what I've experienced is that people don't do enough reading or get enough help before they start out to know what they're actually doing. So my suggestion would be, uh, again, this is, this is all free material. Uh, so it's MIT. We're, we're not selling you anything. It's all free material. Uh, there's a great deal of free material. If you just Google my name, Eric von Hippel, uh, the first thing that will come up is my MIT website. And you will find under teaching materials, you will find project handbooks and so on and videos. That's probably the place that I would start. Then there are articles and free books as well. And then I think, and Jim would have better insight here than me, then there are people who actually now, the consulting industry is starting to pick up on this. Mm -hmm. And a little hand-holding the first time around would not be a bad idea at all. So there are some firms that we know in Europe and, uh, you know, uh, fewer in the U.S. currently, uh, but we could refer people to those, and, and uh, a little hand-holding, as I say, the first time around helps. Yeah, and I would, I would just kind of echo uh, a few things that Eric made. I think one of the biggest traps is thinking that you're finding the, uh, the interesting users and, uh, and not really doing it. So either going and visiting a few people, spending a little time there, and coming away with what you think is insight – uh, that's not what you need to do. You need to daisy chain to where the real action is. And that uh, there are methods for doing it that Eric has spoken about that I think are important. So it takes time. It takes time to daisy chain until you find the people who are really interesting and really on the leading edge and the, uh, where the needs are most intense. The second uh, risk I see is sometimes people go with an idea of what they think the answer is, and they just look for confirmation of what they already believe. If you can't take that pair of glasses off and you lock on to what, uh, what you think the answer is too early, then, uh, you know, then it won't work. You know? So if you're going out to try to confirm your beliefs instead of discover the real world, uh, that's another pitfall. Uh, yeah, so. and, and actually I can illustrate with a project of Jim's because, Jim, you'll remember this project. I mean, um, um, Jim is amazing at this, but so so the problem. Remember when you were back in in a phone company and AVP there was uh, you know that the workforce was getting less and less well trained and they were climbing up to the top of a telephone pole, looking at a tangle of wires that had no way to figure out what they were supposed to do to fix things, and so you did a lead user study yeah, which actually did. looked at people in more extreme conditions, like being shot at and trying to fix an airplane when you're being shot at. And they found, you know, there, what they found was very high-tech solutions in the military where you could actually put on some goggles and look at, for instance, the wheel well, the damaged wheel well of a jet fighter, and it would project what should be there 
with part numbers, and you could directly look at the same time at the damaged material in there and know what to change out. So the innovation from there was, number one, you went to people with extreme needs similar to yours, and then you converted the solution to one that was practical for a phone company. So remember what happened there was the workers on the poles got uh, little helmet cams so that they could show somebody back at headquarters what they were looking at, and that person could give them advice at very low cost. So, that was so a we fabulous were, project. In, in that instance, I mean, Eric's illustrating a uh, – uh, a point. Sometimes the most extreme, the, the answers to your most extreme needs are in another industry. So in that case, we needed something that was lightweight and durable for technicians, and we looked to the mountain climbing industry ultimately after we daisy chained to the experts, and we needed the engagement of people. And we were, you know, it was years and years ago, but looking at the video gaming industry uh, for insight into interface design. Uh, and, and the heads-up display, that was way before Google Glass, uh, and I don't think it was economic uh, at that time. But those are the kinds of things you can discover, and even if you can't meet the need fully at the point in time, it gives you a direction. Right. And, and, and again, you know, if you are not familiar with this kind of work, it can look so odd that you're looking outside of your own industry that when people talk to you and say, what the heck are you doing? And here you're trying to solve a telephone problem and you're looking at mountain climbers. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, you need some sort of confidence and backup that uh, an understanding of what you're trying to do, a deeper understanding, or, or a consultant with experience or, or an employee with experience uh, can give you. And so a key one... factor for people to learn is that it does take time and you do need to really allow the learning to happen. If you stop too soon, you'll be unimpressed with the results. Uh, mm -hmm. If you if you stick with it, and you really uh, and you really run it to ground, you'll be pleased with the results. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, I've got a total of thirty seconds. I'd like both of you to take fifteen seconds and tell the top traits of a leader who's supposed to drive innovation within an organization. Starting with you, Eric. Uh, somebody very like Jim Eichner. <laughs> You've got to have an understanding of the organizational realities, and you've got to have an understanding of the leading edge new paradigm in the innovation process. And I, I would just say you need to be clear about where you want to innovate, where your growth uh, strategies are, and then you need to use uh, approaches, user-centered, customer-centered approaches to understanding where the, where the new the next new thing uh, might come from. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Eric and Jim, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can make user innovation the norm, or for that matter, expand it and look at wherever the innovation can come from, harness it, and bring it to the best value to the, the people for your organization and the customers. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much again. And listeners, hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. 
To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.